ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Sideline Junkies proudly present to you, me. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's me, it's me, it's the big guy, KG. And this is a show you do not want to miss because we got something special. Uh, it's a special time. Uh, we got a special guest who's no stranger to this podcast, and that's the Midnight Rider. He's going to come in. He's going to give his insight on his nationals. I'm not a national fan. 27-time world champion, baby. Get like me. Get your weight up. But uh, he going to give a, 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 a big Nets preview coming up uh in the middle of the show he's got the second segment but first and foremost i gotta start this off correctly it's march 4th um every march 4th especially on this podcast i can't let the day go by without recognizing one of uh the true talents that would have taken over the nba um true God among boys on the basketball court, and that is one Hank Gathers, who we lost 31 years ago today. So uh always gotta remember Big Bank Hank, six foot seven, could jump out of the gym, look like he was dropped out of the rafters. Uh led the nation in rebounding and scoring two years in a row. How many six foot seven people you know could do something like that? Um, unfortunately, we lost him to a heart ailment uh during the West Coast Conference tournament. Uh, and of course, Loyola Marymount goes on to the, uh, the elite eight. Did they make the elite eight? I can't remember, but they, they went on and Bo Kimball shot free throws left-handed and things like that. And, you know, it just went down as one of those sad times, but I hate to start it off on a sad topic, but I'm going to switch it over and start it off on a happy topic. Uh, tonight, uh, if you paid attention to the WrestleManiacs, um, especially our live shows where uh, you can see us. If you haven't seen us live, check us out on YouTube. That's something else that you don't want to miss. Check us out on YouTube. And the Midnight Rider chimed in. They did make it to the Elite Eight that year. Um, but a couple weeks ago, we did a, a live WrestleManiac show. And in the camera came... My oldest daughter, Nisha, pregnant with her first child. And the longest hours are over. Tonight is the night. Uh, she's officially going baby on baby. My love for her is pure like cocaine in the 80s. Uh, and she coming home. It's not going to be her and VJ. It's going to be her and the baby and VJ. So, you know, I, I can go on and on and on and on. But I, I am about to be Papa to a, another little one. Uh, of course, you already know my little Della B, who has been our executive producer a couple times. Uh, she's taken us to break. She started off the show. She's done a lot of things here, Sideline Junkies. But, I mean, you know, we got to keep her on a limited basis because when Della B gets going, you know, she's about that bread. You know, she, she got to be paid. So, uh, but sometime between this very moment, which is 848, on March 4th and 
probably tomorrow morning, uh, we'll have the youngest intern in podcast history, probably, because the second she comes out of the womb, she will be given a job here at Sideline Junkies, uh, youngest intern in the business. So, you know, but her, her it's a paid internship. So we we, we paying her in uh, toys and milk, you know. But tonight, uh, getting set up for that, we got uh, Dario sitting behind the glass and Lady C chimes in, yay, praying for the safe delivery and easy recovery. Me too. I am too. Uh, had a conversation with the father, VJ, and told him, man, this is about to be an, an excellent time, man. Like, you're not going to be able to remember a time when you didn't have kids. Because I can't remember a time when I didn't have kids. So, uh, we got Dario sitting behind the glass. Xavier, Akasha, running back and forth, getting drinks for everybody. So, uh, put your orders in with those two. But, let's jump into this show. Let's jump into the plate. Um, Big Ben. Ben Roethlisberger. Big Ben. Jeez, he has signed uh, a contract with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Where is it at? I just had it. Uh, a new contract for 2021. Uh, come on, baby. Don't do me like that. Uh, shoot. Of course, I can't find it now. ESPN ain't. I don't know what's wrong with the ESPN ha- app, but uh, I hope everybody doesn't have the same problem. Uh, he signed a one-year contract, so he'll be back for 2021. They announced it today. Uh, he's excited. <laughs> Fourteen million dollars is what the Midnight Rider says. Fourteen million dollars. Don't you think? Don't you? <sighs> he turned 39 on Tuesday. Two-time Super Bowl winner. But don't you think that him taking 14 million for one season? Honestly. Uh thinking uh out loud, and I, I see Junie's listening. I, I know Big Jim's not too happy about it, but uh 14 million for a 39-year-old quarterback. I in my opinion, that's not a smart move. I'd have maybe gave you seven, maybe even eight, maybe even nine and a half, but 14, I don't think so. I don't think so. And here comes the Midnight Rider. I'm sure that he has something to say on this, and I'm hoping that he agrees with me. Welcome to the studio. Uh, um, Real quick. If you can, you got me, right? I, I got you. All right, cool. So on Big Ben, I think the problem is Ben had leverage. So you can't, I mean, you probably want to give him seven to nine million, but I mean, who are you going to start if he don't come back? You know, are you starting Haskins, Rudolph, or are you drafting somebody? And I don't think Pittsburgh has put themselves in a place to make that happen just yet. So I think that's really the only reason they're in this situation, and that's why we at 14. And then some of it is you got to respect the man because, you know, he's battled through a lot of stuff to be there. So I think it's half and half. Mm. Defeated by the mute button. But you know what? 
I get what you're saying. And, you know, they don't have another option at quarterback. I get with that. Oh, and guess who just checked into the live studio? The one, the only. Nisha. Hanish. Hanish. Checking all the way in from the hospital. Get ready to deliver my grandbaby. Hanish. Hanish. She can't see me acting a fool, but hi. <laughs> but uh, you missed it. I did it early. I said you're going baby on baby. My love for you is pure like cocaine in the 80s. I'm I'm telling you, like, dude, I am happy as hell that you're doing this. So, I mean, you 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 y'all going in the hospital as two, y'all coming out as three, and it's officially been said that Serenity will be the youngest intern in the podcasting business. She will she has a job that once she takes her first breath, she has a job. So we don't have to worry about that two week waiting period. She's already got a job. So it's a paid internship. We paying her in milk and toys. So her contract's already been negotiated. It's done. But back to Ben Roethlisberger. You don't have anybody behind him. I mean, Mason Rudolph's your, your best uh your, your best shot at starting quarterback. Because you can't start Haskins. He doesn't know the system. And he's only on a futures contract. You draft somebody, you still got to work with them because they don't know the offense. So Mason Rudolph would be your only choice. But do you trust Mason Rudolph to be your quarterback? I mean, I think he showed you that he's not the guy. I mean, that little stretch, I want to say it was two years ago after he got, he got hit in the head with the helmet by um, Miles Garrett. I think that showed you all you needed to see. He wasn't that guy. I mean, they willed themselves to eight and eight. If he plays any kind of good quarterback, has any kind of good quarterback play, they should be 10 and six and they make the playoffs that year. So I think Mason Rudolph already showed you. The problem was, I think that's the same year Pittsburgh the year before went all out to get Devin Bush. So they didn't have a high pick the next year. Um, so they kind of missed out on maybe even getting a quarterback late in the first round without having to give up assets. And Big Jim checking in. We talking about your Steelers, Jim, and I, I really want to know how you feel about Ben getting his $14 million one-year contract. But if you notice, and this is where history repeats itself, you had Bradshaw. They never drafted another quarterback to take over for Bradshaw after he was done. And you didn't have another franchise quarterback until 2004. Bradshaw retired in, what, 83? So you got mm -hmm. 21 years. Well, no, 20 years between franchise quarterbacks. You had uh, Cordell Stewart. Neil O'Donnell took you to a Super Bowl, but Neil O'Donnell choked in the Super Bowl. Uh, who else did you have? Kent Graham, Kent Graham Mark Malone, Bubby Brister. I think Mike Tomzak was in that in that mix too, wasn't he? Yep, Mike Tomzak, um, Anthony Wright, um, Charlie Batch. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. And out of everybody oh, you name, yeah, left winch, yeah. But out of everybody you name, Charlie Batch is the best one out of the bunch. And Junie just checked in. He said we still. We still have Josh Dobbs. And that's
I forgot all about Josh Dobbs. I mean, I didn't like him at Tennessee. So, I mean, I always thought he had a big arm. But I think the biggest mistake they made was trading him or letting him go and then bringing him back. I think if he had stayed there, you wouldn't have had um, Mason Rudolph. You would have had him starting those important games for you. I think he would have done a little bit better than Rudolph. But he's not much better. I'm going to say this. You could have gave Big Ben $25 million for this season. If you don't go out and get a running back of some caliber that you can run the ball, you giving Ben any amount of money means absolutely dick because you can't win if you don't run the ball. And that's that's why they started losing all those games towards the end of the season because they couldn't run the ball. Washington figured out the formula, beat them. Then everybody else started beating them. Well, Washington got that formula from Baltimore the week before, and that started a whole downfall um, because they were supposed to beat the Ravens because I think the Ravens were starting RG3 that night, and um, they had a couple guys out because of COVID. So that should have happened then. They got lucky, went late, and then after that, it just goes downhill. I'm not rubbing it in, June. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But it, it, it's it's crazy. I can't see myself giving a 39-year-old quarterback $14 million. But that's why I'm in the business that I'm in, and I'm not in uh, as a GM. So, but moving on. You're a Nats fan, correct? Yes, sir. I don't I don't understand why, but <laughs> all right, so here it is. I love baseball all grown up. So it got to a point where I was anybody but an Orioles fan. And then like 93, I became an Indians fan because I used to always read sporting news and I was up on all the young guys. So I knew the Indians were gonna pop. Um it was just a matter of when. So I, I love them, watch them the whole time, and then I always wanted my own team. And that's part of the other reason why I didn't want to be a Baltimore Orioles fan, because I always felt like they was in the way. So I'm from the city. You know what I'm saying? This is home. So I just had to I had to have something that I love and represent it. So, yeah, it was easy being a Nats fan. Easy I know you. you. I know you were a Yankees fan and you want to bring up the 27 and all that good stuff. But you know what? I, I lied to you not now. I say this all the time on the show, especially when we talk baseball. Only reason why I'm a Yankees fan is because 94 was a strike season. Uh, but I had a – most people don't remember. It was a Sega and Super Nintendo game. It was Major League Baseball Players Association baseball. So they didn't have the rights to the teams, but they had the rights to the names. And I would play with the Yankees. And Bernie Williams, Danny Tartable, uh, I can't remember everybody that was on that team, but I could win with them. And I became a Yankees fan that way. And then Derek Jeter comes in in 96, rookie of the year. And then I'm like, I, I, I bangs with Jeter. My godmother taught me the game of baseball. Huge Orioles fan. You know, she loved Kyle Ripken. She loved Billy. She loved Kyle Sr. 
she just loved that whole entire family. And she said, I, I, the only mistake I made in this life is I raised you and you became a Yankee fan. And I do not understand why. She said, that's the only mistake I've ever made in life. I said, but you got to look at it. Once Kyle Ripken moved from shortstop to third base, Derek Sanderson Jeter became the best shortstop in baseball. She ain't had no comeback for that. So, and the next thing you know, the rivalry was there and Yankees played uh, Orioles whenever that series was up. I'm on the phone with her. And, you know, just you see that? You see how we went? You see the dominance? I got hung up on a couple times, but I couldn't Man, be That's when Lucina gets there, too. <laughs> huh? I said Mike Lucina comes over in like, what, 96 or 97? Yeah. It was Somewhere around that time. Mm-hmm. But now don't get me wrong I got love for the Nats When they won The World Series And I was pushing for At the time I was pushing for uh, D.C. to be renamed Title Town USA because we had The WNBA champion <laughs> We had uh, the Stanley Cup champions Then we had the World Series champions And I was like we gotta be renamed Title Town USA. BJ said the criteria for that, somebody has to win a second. But I still I was like, I want my title town USA. I want that. But I always pull for the Nets as long as they're not playing the Yankees. But here's the thing. This upcoming season, do you think, and, and this is my question, and then you go into and tell me your preview of the Nets season. I'll sit back and I'll listen. But do you think with all the moves they made this year? This offseason, um, Juan Soto is uh, a little banged up, but he's gonna he's gonna pay dividends once he's healthy. But do you think that they can repeat as World Series? All right. So honestly, I'm gonna say it's gonna be tough, and I'm also gonna say no, and it's because of what's happening out west. So out west, you got the Padres and the Dodgers, who probably have the two most talented teams in all of baseball. So I don't think World Series is their thing. And I don't even think the Nats are the best team in their division. Um, if the Braves can somehow figure out the eighth and ninth inning of a baseball game, they're going to be the best team in the, in the East. The Mets made moves, but the Mets are the Mets. So I figure they're going to flail out somewhere in the middle of that. Um, the Marlins are young, but they're almost too young. Um, so I think once they put that over 162, Instead of the 48 games they had last year, I think the Marlins are going to fall by the wayside. The Phillies are just going to be in the way. So this team with the Nats, um, you know, you were a sports fan. So you remember back in the day when they did the yearbook and, like, your football team got a title thing. So I think this year the Nats are called. They're basically a Mike Rizzo team. This is the back of your baseball card. So it doesn't matter what you did last year. It's just what your baseball card says. And that's how we're going to judge this team. So you look at the, the two pickups they made. They picked up Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. Both left-handed hitters. Actually, Bell's a switch hitter. But they brought back Zimmerman to take care of, to do like a little platoon situation there. Schwarber had 38 home runs the year before. Last year, he hit like 212. Bell, same situation. But I think because of their baseball cards, that's why they're here. And they're going to be hitting around Juan Soto, the guy you talked about. Probably, to me, he's my guy in baseball. He's the number one player. Well, not number one, because you got Trout, 
And then to me, it's him next. Uh, I'm that high on this kid. And I think the other thing that's going to happen Nationals this year is they still have pitching, and pitching plays in baseball. So you have Scherzer, you have Strasburg. I actually think this is going to be a big year for Joe Ross. I think if Joe Ross can give them anything this year, this is the time that they're going to actually get a bump from him because I think he'll actually be better than John Lester, and he'll actually be the full starter in, in results-wise, not anything else. Bullpen, this is the best bullpen the Nationals have ever had, ever, 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 ever. Um, they're coming at you with um, Hand, Brad Hand, um, Will Harris. Like they, they have at least seven guys that can actually close a baseball game out. So it's going to be really key on Davey on how he sets this team up to end the ball games. And then the fact that you have so much depth in your pen, you can actually shorten a baseball game in this situation. So I think the Nats are going to win. Like if I had to do an over-under and 87 was the was the the bridge, I would actually put them under, but they'd only be under because they're getting 85 wins this year. So I don't know if Vegas, I haven't looked it up. I probably will look it up after this show. But yeah, I think, I think they're an 85-win ball club, but I don't think that's going to be enough to get them past the Braves because the Braves are going to bring, they got a fire starting five. Um, so I wouldn't even, I don't think that's going to be the option, but the only way they can catch the Braves is because their bullpen is way better than anything the Braves can bring out of the pen. So that's where the difference is going to come. And then the other guy to keep an eye on is Luis Garcia, who's the baby bull. Um, he played second last year. So he's going to be the guy that the second somebody gets hurt in that infield, he's going to step in. And I think this is the time he takes off because he played well last year in the 25 games that he played. So I think Garcia is the key them going forward. But this year, the guy they got to get big things out of are Victor Robles and Carter Keeboom. And that's how far this team is going to go. It's up to those two to figure it out and make it happen. Um, so I want to turn this back to you a little bit because I've been looking a little bit at the Yankees. What you think the Yankees going to do? World Series champions? <clears throat> Come on, dog. <laughs> Come on. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be honest on. with you. I'm not even going to lie to you. I look at the Yankees, and I had to – I started doing this maybe about – I say about 15 years ago. I stopped looking at spring training games because I think they – I think today they, they beat somebody six to four or something like that. And I used to get all mm-hmm. hyped up about that. Somebody got uh, – the Nationals got beat 14 nothing today by the Phillies. Mm-hmm. It means nothing. Right now it means nothing. But here's the problem. One thing that I can say about the Yankees, you know, it's not like it used to be. It, it used to be, you know, you get a a, a, a good free agent. You automatically know mm-hmm. we going, um, but I don't feel I don't I haven't felt like that in a while. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Judge. I like him, mm-hmm. but I don't think he can carry us on up out of here. Uh, I like Brett Gardner, Stanton. I like these guys, but I it's like I don't see us winning with them, and I I, I just I kind of. It's same way with the Washington football team. I grew up to winning. 
and you know I'm I'm still young in the baseball game kind of because I didn't I, I learned the game early preferred to play it more than watch it but then once I started sitting down watching and I love watching opening day games like I would rush home from work to watch an opening day game but uh I just I don't see us you said 85 wins for the Nats right mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it because I got I gotta think low I can't think as high as I used to because I remember you know 100 wins was nothing for the Yankees they barely gonna crack 80 this year Mm, I don't know, man. I'm looking at this. I think the wild card. I mean, I know Severino comes back. You got um, but you got my man Corey Kluber. And if Kluber yeah, can keep it him. together, if if Kluber's only problem is his injury history, um, if he on it with him and Garrett Cole, that's a dynamic one-two. And if you can get anything from Domingo, um, you can be straight. And then you can close it out because you got Britton and Chapman in the back. So it's not bad. And and then the other thing is you don't need great starting pitching when you can hit the ball a country mile. True. But here's my problem. Go ahead. I, I have I have a habit of living in the past. But if if all I have is the past to live in, because that's when the times were great, I'm gonna live there. Having someone like the greatest closer in history, Mariano Rivera, Mo, and then you go and you know, now we doing it, it, it's yeah, Chapman. by committee. But it may be him sometimes. It, it, it may be somebody else, but it's closer by committee. I'm used to Mo coming in and it's automatically it's done. It's over. Cancel Christmas. This game uh, is locked up. Put it to bed. Two years ago, you was just one trash can beat away from beating the Astros. <laughs> That's all it was. Like literally game seven. Yeah, they hit the trash can. He knew the drink was coming, and then he tagged Altuve. Tagged it. Like that's the only reason you aren't in the World Series. I mean, you still would have lost to the Nationals, but at least you would have gotten there. You know but what I'm see, saying? Here's the thing. I uh, I prayed that the Yankees would win that because I said I didn't care how much a ticket cost. If I could, if it oh. could be a World Series game, I was going to be in that stadium. To watch my Yankees at least steal one from the Nationals. I, I, I said, it's no way in four hells I would be able to miss that. I wouldn't be able to live with myself with that. Could I take a loss? I would take a loss if I could say that I was there to see my Yankees play. Now, it, it, it's, uh, it's a part of my bucket list. Now, one thing that I did, I, I've knocked off my bucket list. I, did, I have seen Notre Dame play in person. I didn't go to Indiana when they came and played Navy at FedEx Field. Mm. When Notre Dame ran onto the field, grown man, it was about 25 degrees outside. I had tears frozen on my cheeks because I cried. And Everett Golson lit Navy up that night. Lit them up. Bucket list, to see the Yankees play. Even if it's not in the Bronx, to see the Yankees play, but that would have been double bucket list because I went to a World Series game, but I saw the Yankees in the World Series, and because I was there, I know history would have been made. They would have beat the Nats probably like thirty-one to one or something like that. It'd have been something crazy just because I was there. But this is the things that I'm used to, and 
I don't know if we're ever going to get back to being that dominant team that we once were, that dominant organization. And it seems like since Steinbrenner passed away, uh, we ain't been doing too well. All right, so real quick, AL East breakdown, real quick. Orioles, Young, got a couple bats, but of course, until Andy Roshman, the catcher they drafted number one two years ago, overall comes up, and they get a couple more pitches, they're going to struggle. So you got wins sitting there because I think you, pl- I think they're playing teams more this year than they normally do, right? Um, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is like the guy in your fantasy league that no matter who you trade to him, the second he gets them, they play great. So Tampa Bay is always going to be there just because of the way they, they build pitches. So Tampa Bay is probably one in your division. You're two. Then there's Toronto, and Boston's not even trying to win. So you you got three teams where you can still win. So that's why I don't know. I, I you know If I'm you, I don't know what that number is for the over. I might take the over in this situation because you're going to play more teams in your division more often than not this year, especially because they're trying to limit travel. So you got three teams, Orioles, Boston, um, and Toronto, that I think you can get wins off of. And, and you know what? When we're supposed to get uh when we're supposed to get wins off of Boston is when Boston kicks our ass. I got you. So it is times that we should be smashing Boston left and right, and they beat the hell out of us. So, and same thing with the Orioles. I mean, the Orioles, every time we step into Baltimore, I know, I'm like, that's a win. But it never works out that way. But I, I, I'm, I'm shooting for the under right now because if I shoot no, for see. the under and the over comes, I'm, I'm happy. But if, the, if it's the under, I'm like, okay, well, I called it. So I, I kind of sort of look like a genius. So, I mean, I think, I'm I think like, you caught the wrong Oriole games, man. Because, like, two years ago, I think Glaber Torres had 30 some odd home runs. And I swear he had 15 against Baltimore. It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen in my life where it was almost like Freddie Freeman coming to Washington. Like, Glaber Torres hit, it felt like he was hitting 600. He had a 600 batting average. When every time he came to Camden Yards, it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. But I mean, I get it. You know, you're down to your team this year, but I'm telling you, y'all are gonna be right there in the mix. The only problem, the good thing is, nobody in the Central is trying. So Minnesota isn't going to be a big a big threat. Um, Cleveland sells off everybody and get bags of potato chips for some reason. I don't understand that concept. I've hated that ever since they like, like oh, you want you want Kenny Lofton? Give me those Doritos over there and we good. You know what I'm saying? We just traded Corey Cooper for um or I, I said we because it's a bad habit. Because I said it for 20 years, but they traded Cooper for um freaking Delano DeShields Jr. and some pitcher that hurt his arm, so now he's out for two years. So like Cleveland's not in the mix. Only you guys are Chicago White Sox. And then you go west, the Angels can't pitch. So that's a team that, yeah, you got Trout and Rendon, but you got nothing else. Mm. Rendon, ain't that one of your boys that they let get oh, out of town? Dog, Rendon, me and Rendon's my boy since he was at Rice University. I'll put it that way. Rendon should be a number one player. Be, 
Well, he didn't want the furry money. And, you know, for some reason, the learners act like, you know, they ain't got no money. So they got to defer everything. I want to see when this, this deferred money started hitting, how that's going to hit their bank account. Well, they, didn't, they defer everybody. Let me ask you a question. Sure. When you're rich, how do you stay rich? Oh, you don't sell. I, I get that concept. <laughs> you but here's like the problem broke. I have. Right, right. But here's the problem I have. And part of this is, well, no, the onus is on Major League Baseball because you have a team that is handcuffed by an agreement because Bud Selig sold his soul to the devil, Peter Angelos, to get the team in Washington. So he gave Angelos the rights to the contracts in terms of TV money, and he made it difficult for Washington to even come off the ground and get started. So like they're still fighting over like 180 million, 200 million in profits from TV. And they're sharing the same station, so it's trash. Like if Washington, Washington is the one of the biggest markets in the world. So you can't tell me that if the Nats weren't had to deal with Channel 7, like how much money would be coming in. But the problem is they're a little bit handcuffed because Bud Selig said, you know, he kissed the devil's toes and said, oh, okay. And that's how we end up in this situation. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to, I, I got you here. I can ask you this question. Because I heard some talk about this when I was listening to the radio, and I'm like, why is there a problem? Baltimore has their stations. D.C. has their stations. You have the, I guess, the Masson affiliates. They don't want uh, mm-hmm. they don't want Nats game on Masson. I'm like, okay, well, we still got NBC Washington. Put the Nats game on NBC Washington. Now, if they conflict with the Wizards games, okay, you got to find an alternative. Because it, at one point in time, for those of us that are old enough to remember in the area, remember HTS, which is NBC Washington now. But That's how I got to see a bunch of Wizards games. Exactly. Oh, Bullets games back then. There. It was HTS, and then uh, they would show the games on Channel 20, WDCA. Yep. yep. And that's why I watched all my – because I, I, I fell in love with Rod Strickland. And I, I watched the night one night. He gave, him, he gave somebody 35, 17, and 11. And the 11 was 11 rebounds. He had 17 – no, the 11 assists, he had 17 rebounds. And they won. And I was like, yeah, Rod Strickland is just an absolute beast. But, you know. that's a, We're going to put a pin in that thought because there's some <laughs> point guards. No, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. A, I got a Rod Strickland story. But B, I'm going to put a pin in it because um, there's a bunch of underrated point guards that I love that I know could be a conversation with a couple other people that know hoops. So – so the TV thing, what happened was, and I'm going to take it back a step before I go forward. So some of the bad blood between Baltimore and D.C. is off of Jack Kent Cook because he did, when Baltimore left, basically he tried to take over the market and say that you can't put another team in D.C. in Baltimore because they're too close. Um, thankfully, there really wasn't a team moving to Baltimore anyway, so it never really became a conflict. So that's how he tried to take over that market. Because if that was the case, if you think about it, back in the day, we would take DC had or the Redskins had from Maryland all the way down to damn near Atlanta. Like all those people were Redskins fans. So so we bring it forward. Angelos, who knows he's not putting money into the team, well, now he got to make it a sweetheart deal for himself. So what happens is. 
baseball comes to them, say we're gonna put we're gonna try to put this team in your market because it's the best market basically available to us. Everywhere else was not gonna give them what they wanted. It wasn't gonna give them the cachet. It wasn't gonna be sexy, so it wasn't going to sell. So um what Bud Selig did, and Bud Selig has two bonehead moves. Well, one bonehead move and one gangster move. The bonehead move was this. The gangster move was getting the Brewers out of the American League into the National League Central. Whole another story. So we get to this TV deal, and so basically he tells Angelos, all right, Angelos is like, I'll concede, but I got to get money off of this team being in my market because I'm going to lose money. And, you know, there's one thing that rich people also have is their mantra is, if I don't make as much as I did last year, I lost money. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's a lot of – I think it's what's the, I think it's Casino where um, the Asian guy plays Bakla Rock and, like, he takes $7 million and they stole the plane out and bring him back and he tries to bet 10000 But in his mind, he's losing – Every time he wins, because he should be betting a hundred thousand. So it's that same concept. Like, if I didn't make what I made last year, I'm losing money. So that's how this whole mass and TV thing came about. And the problem is, after a certain amount of time, the Nationals supposed to get more money out of the deal, and Baltimore's been holding on to it. So that's probably a player or two. That might be either Bryce Harper or Anthony Rendon being here. That's really what the difference is. Bryce Harper leaving was the best thing to happen to this team because when Bryce oh, Harper left, facts, you win a championship. But now he's supposed to be, you know, the end all the b hole here in DC, and he could not get it done. He leaves, they get over the hump without him. But you know, he 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 he, he that's karma because he went up there to win a championship. He's never going to win because of the bad things he said about DC, and DC has done nothing but love him. So he's never going to win. But that's my opinion of okay. Bryce Harper, quick and dirty. All right, you know what? I'll give you that. But I think Bryce's issue was, I mean, he got here at 18. His agent is Scott Boris. So, like, if you know anything about baseball, Boris is one of those guys that he's never going to give you the ability to negotiate with a guy early. So he'll take the arbitration years. And then he knows he's going to get paid when you run out of arbitration, which is six years. I don't mean to get too much in the weeds of baseball contracts, but that's how it works. Nah, get- your first six years, your your first six years, you're basically being paid on like a, it's almost like a rookie skill. So every year, so like Juan Soto right now probably isn't, make, isn't making that much money. Like you would think he would be making like 17, 18 million because of his ability. But because he's in the arbitration system, he's probably making somewhere between five and seven this year. Now, what some teams do, like the Tampa Bay Devil Rays or the Tampa Bay Rays, is after they see a guy for three years, they'll buy out his next three years of arbitration. So, like, a guy like Evan Longoria, who used to be their third baseman, he would he signed a seven-year or a 10-year $100 million deal and basically what it did was it bought out the years of arbitration so he could get some money right away. He can get big money right away and then still be with the team beyond, you know what I'm saying, the first six years. So that way the team doesn't have to deal with free agency. Another person that did it was Ronald Acuna Jr. 
down in Atlanta. He signed like a seven-year, $100 million deal. So now he gets money up front because, you know, most of these guys, I mean, especially Akuma, he came from the Dominican. So, you know, money, he doesn't have, he didn't have a lot of money. So he like, if they're going to give me this big money up front, I'll take it because that puts money in my pocket now. And then I still have my long-term deal. Do I lose money in the long run? Yes, because you don't have that big contract that you're going to get. But the way you make out is it's guaranteed and you get some of that money up front. So now you just got to have a good financial advisor because then you'll make up some of the money that you lost out on on getting that big payday. But every year in baseball, if you're under six years of service time, you have to go to what's called arbitration. And that's where um, your agent and then whoever the general managers of the team, they fight to see how much money you're going to make. But it's also on a scale. So you go in trying to figure out how much money you're going to get. And you either be on the high end of the scale or the low end of the scale. And basically, they sit in there and argue with your stats to try to prove which way they should go. Some teams, they're smart about it, and they beat you to that. And they'll say, all right, your high-end arbitration number, say, KG, you know, you in your third year, your high-end arbitration number might be nine. So they may come and say, hey, we'll give you 8.5, and we just be done with this. That's what Soto did this year and Trey Turner. They signed deals or they signed a deal before they even got to arbitration because, I mean, you really don't want to be in a room where a team is trying to downplay how good you are. That kills chemistry. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. Now, see, you just hit me to something because that's one thing I never knew the inner workings of. I know how NFL contracts work. I know how NBA contracts work especially when you get into the clauses and everything. But I always had a problem because nobody ever broke down arbitration to me. And, you know, MLB has no salary cap. Uh, you can spend freely. It's, you know, But teams that could spend freely choose not to and, and choose to suck and then say, well, we're not making any money. Well, you're not putting a good product on the field. I so don't want so the other key. Type of team. Nah, the Nats won't become that team because um, – they have enough money. Like, and that's one of those teams, they have enough money and they build the right way. So, like, in two years, instead of you talking about, instead of the headliners being Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer, it's going to be Kay Cavalli and Rutledge Jackson. Those, those are their last two first-round draft picks. They both can spin it. They both sick with it. And you're probably going to see Cade or you'll probably see Rutledge before you see Cade. Um, just because of the years they were drafted. So if somebody goes down, they'll give Fetty and, and somebody else a chance. But if it's a disaster with those two, one of those two young bulls are coming up and they can throw it. And the Nationals have a profile. Like, that's the one thing I love about Rizzo is he always has a profile mix on his guys. Um, a lot of his guys are going to throw um, low to mid – I mean, I'm sorry, mid to high 90s. They're going to have either a change, a cut, and, and of course, a fastball, and then they work everything off of that. So, but back to the contract piece. The other thing that people don't forget, and Bryce Harper was one of the big examples of this, is the Nationals tried to wait till the middle of June to bring him up, because basically his service time starts um, sooner, and he can become what's called a super two. So basically, that gets him to free agency a little bit sooner than he normally would. So back in the day, what a lot of teams would do is they knew they had a prospect. 
that was they was going to play in the majors, but they would start him in AAA, so they wouldn't start the clock right away, and then bring him up a month or two into the season, so that way he doesn't qualify or have enough service time to hit free agency sooner. So they essentially delayed free agency to keep their guy. What if they did that in the NBA? They wouldn't. The players have too much power. I mean, it's that, I'm dead serious. The players have too much power in the NBA. Um, I think the NBA is actually of the player unions. They're the best. They get the most. For, they get the bang for their buck. What do they get? Fifty percent. I think they get fifty or fifty-one percent of revenue. Mm. I mean, a dude like Tyler Johnson had like a forty-five million dollar deal. Tyler Johnson. That's true. It, it, it'd be a lot of outrageous contracts in, in, in the NBA. Yeah, and it's all guaranteed. And, and, and that's what I'm about to say. They're all guaranteed. The NFL, you know, you put your body at more risk in the NFL. And to say that, you know, you can, like Patrick Mahomes signed that $450 million contract. Now, he may get all of that money. But it's guys. Now, if Dak signs a $130 million contract, I don't think Dak's going to get that whole 130 Right. Once those balloon payments hit, Jerry Jones ain't gonna. He he's gonna drop that. But uh, man, that's just uh, that's that's amazing. Now you got me thinking. I need to do some real digging. I'm gonna have to do some real homework this day on baseball season. Cause trust and believe, this ain't the last time we're gonna talk about baseball. Especially, please, I I I'll oh, be anytime. on the line with you. And because I, I we we we've been trying to do the baseball thing over the years, excuse me, but it don't always seem to work out. So with what you know, I would love to do this from time to time so we can talk about baseball, talk about things that are going on. Because I mean, we got heavy into it during the World Series run, just like we got heavy into NHL. I mean, we got deep in the NHL doing. Uh, the Caps run, mm-hmm. and that right there, and being a Caps fan, I I actually that that last seventeen seconds of that Stanley Cup final was the longest seventeen seconds I've ever dealt with my life. <laughs> but we we gotta definitely we we need to come back. I I, I don't I ain't gonna set no timetable when something when we talk baseball, please. I'll be letting you know. Please, 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 just let me know when you're available. We can sit down and do this all day long. Yo, I'm a I'm a text message away, man. Just like you hit me today. Um, I love this. I love baseball. Um, that's my wheelhouse. I mean, back to the days when I was playing first base and at Carroll. So yeah, it's my thing. Um, so yeah, definitely, man. Whenever you're ready. All right, I can dig that, but now don't go nowhere. Cause, oh, okay. Uh, don't you go nowhere. Because now, have you been seeing what's going on in the NBA? Since we're we, we going to jump over the NBA. But have you been seeing what's going on in the NBA with these refs? Montrez Harrell got a technical foul for yelling and one on a play that was actually an and one play. He yelled and one and they teed him up. Rudy Gobert and Spider Mitchell got technical fouls last night. I mean, uh, and Donovan Mitchell got tossed after getting two techs in overtime last night, which pretty much essentially cost Utah the game. What is going on with these refs? Are they abusing power? What, what What's the deal? 
Because now it's starting to become the NBA is really starting to become unwatchable. I think it's twofold. I mean, well, not even twofold. I'll say it this way. I think I think the lack of fans hurts because they hear so much. So so now every time a foul is called or a guy is talking about the ref, well, you can hear it now because there's nobody else in the arena. You know what I'm saying? So now when you normally could say, you know, this dude's terrible and, you know, because the crowd's going crazy because they want that free Chick-fil-A sandwich in the fourth quarter for a missed free throw, you know, maybe he doesn't hear you in that situation. Whereas now I think they hear everything. And I think they've gotten sensitive. I'll say that for sure. I think they're a little bit more sensitive because they hear everything. So, and they're human. So at a certain point you get tired of somebody or people talking about you. So I think they run them a little bit quicker now. But I think the thing that's going to help us is we're going to start slowly, gradually getting more and more fans in the building. And I think that'll come down some. Man, bring back the days of Dick Bavetta, Mindy Rudolph. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't all of that. Because if you're sensitive, don't be a referee if you're going to be sensitive. Because if you're not going to get criticized during the game, you're going to get criticized after the game. Now, they've put in rules where you get fined for criticizing refs. But that's like the NBA. They have this thing where they review the tape. And if it's a missed call or a wrong, a, a no call or something, they, well, we missed this call. It, you telling me you it's missed a, the call got nothing for me. That's the two-minute. So the refs give away what's called like the two-minute, um, the last two minutes of the ball game. They'll talk about any mistakes they made. In that last two minutes, but the NFL does the same thing. On Tuesday, if if they miss the call in the middle of a Redskins game, there's a little FedEx that comes in and says, "Oh, we missed this, our bad, or we called this wrong." So all the leagues do it just so you know there's so people understand, you know what was missed. But yeah, I mean, but- I think literally, man, I think really this is more so just because they can hear everything. Like, and I think when we get, like, even, I think it was tonight, so, like, on some mornings, I don't listen to the Junkies. I listen to WIP just because I love how crazy Philly fans are. Um, and they were already bitching about um, not having fans in the building. And I think they were playing Utah. Either I think it was last night they was playing Utah. So they know what the difference is when having people in the building. And to be honest with you, since the vaccine's coming, I don't see where we're not going to be, like, by May. I don't see where there won't be fans in any event. It might be limited, but I think we're going to have fans in every event, like, come May. That's my bold prediction. Mm. Well, I can tell you as of right now, uh, it sucks. I, yes, it does, but I won't be one of those fans in the building. I'm sorry. I, I'm just – I got a lot to think about, and and the stories that I'm hearing, everybody, you know, people getting the vaccine, and then, boom, they positive. And I'm like, yeah, I told y'all it wasn't going to be the end all to be all. Now, I, I'm not going to go into 100% detail right here on A about what I feel or my thoughts, but just know it's not for me. If it's for you, so be it. I mean, I, I already had it, so I'm good. Right. But I don't knock anybody if they want to get vaccinated. That's on you. 
No, I'm not talking about the vaccine. I'm talking no, about the COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, we talked about that. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I, I want to take the precautions. Um, I hope everybody in Texas and Mississippi take still take precautions. I mean, you know, they may not have a mandate, but still take precautions. But uh, I don't. I, I think you're absolutely right about the the refs. They can hear everything, and I, I love the point that they, you know, they're human. But they're also sensitive. And you know what's going to come. I mean, it's I, I've, I've seen referees get chewed out. But they grow a little backbone and they start jawing right back at the player. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, you, you move on from that. But for some odd reason, it's not like that anymore. I, I don't know. But this is I always say this. This whole... This generation is sensitive. You can't say anything to anybody in this generation without it being a sensitive issue. You make a joke. Oh, why would you say something like that? So, I mean, you know, I I expect that and coming from this generation of officials. So, it's a sex quote. Oh, about uh, them being pudding pops? Yeah. Yeah, Shaq been going up, but the thing is, you can look at it from one of two ways, and Candace Parker did check him. One of two ways is because Shaq, Shaq has to realize this is a different era. True. You can't, you can't put a put somebody. Nobody's back to the best. Do I? And me personally, I don't really like you know the simple fact that a center doesn't play on the block as well as the high post and maybe can shoot too. But it's like everybody, we talked about it. Uh, I think it was Sunday. The Utah, not the Utah, the uh, Denver um, Washington game from last week where yes. Denver had a chance to at least tie the game and send it into overtime. They got a four and one and everybody pulls up at the perimeter and stands there. Time runs out. And my question was, what, the hell were they thinking? Has the game and and I, I made a statement. I sent it to everybody on Instagram, and the message that I sent with it was, "If you're telling me that Steph Curry influenced the game and this is what he influenced the game for, he has ruined the game." But I'm not gonna put that on Steph because everybody can't do what Steph does. He is a talent. He is a great shooter, not the greatest shooter of all time, but he's a great shooter. And what he does is what he does. But everybody's trying to duplicate his game. You can't do that. You can't play well, your I game. Think also, that. So my experience has been because, and and this is going to come out wrong, but because of the saturation of the AAU program, like a lot of kids don't get taught fundamental basketball anymore. All they do is roll a basketball out, and you're playing AAU at five or six, and you're not really getting taught basketball. By some of these coaches, some of these guys is just somebody's dad, and his son couldn't play on Team Y or Team Durant, so now he made his own team. You know, what I mean, you playing C level, and you know, it's just. I'm going a long way to say I think the fundamentals of basketball are lost um, on this generation. So now teams have to simplify everything. Like I think Calipari is a genius because he just went to a five-out offense 
So that way, not to get too caught up in the weeds, but it's mostly dribble, drive, and kick. So you don't have to do a whole bunch of stuff. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to teach a kid, you know, stagger screens and all this other stuff. You just have some of the basic fundamentals that they've been doing all their lives. And I think that play that night was one of the most, it was the picture of 2020 basketball. Like they've been, these guys have been told so much that the two point shot isn't worth it. That they literally stopped and there was no one from Washington back. If you go back to that picture, there was not a single Washington player in the paint. That's the most hysterical part about it. There wasn't even a defender there. Exactly. You got an easy layup. An easy layup. And they just refused to take it. So it's like, it's almost like they've been brainwashed that the two-point shot is no good, that they don't even seek the two-point shot. So I think that's where we are right now in basketball, man. And I, I, and I can't stand it. Oh, neither can I. And you brought up AAU. We had a long conversation. This is man, this is a while back. This is early days of sideline junkies. And we talked about AAU basketball. And I I, I said it then, I say it now. AAU has pretty much ruined basketball going forward. Because I mean, when you play rec league, so you got District Heights rec versus Bladesburg rec. You had to live within that that community to play for that rec. You couldn't just say, well, I don't want to play with y'all no more, so I'm going to play with with Bladensburg because they win more. And then, you know, everybody goes to Bladensburg because they win more and they go on trips. And then all of a sudden, Bladensburg's the powerhouse that everybody wants to play for. And they get all the endorsements, the sneaker deals, everything. But then the District Heights is this lowly team, and they pretty much taking younger and younger kids, trying to teach them fundamentals, but they're not winning, so nobody wants to stay. No parent wants them to stay. It's like nobody wants to work towards anything. It's a right-now generation, and it, it, it stretches from sports to video games to life with this generation. I mean, All right. you can go buy VC points and build up a dag on my play on 2K. You don't have to work for it anymore. I hate AAU with the passion and Dario's sitting behind the glass. Uh oh. Uh oh. I said something about 2K. Now this boy and got him and got from behind the glass. What the hell do you want? Um, 2K, you still have to grind to unlock more points. Buy more VC. We're not having a conversation about VC right now. But I'm, I'm just saying, you still have to grind. Dog, to you still more. buying VC you ain't working for. Please. I know you're not allowed to buy BC. Beat your feet. <laughs> Did you come in here just to, ha- yes, that's all I to tell you. get back over there and work the board? Go, go, go. Oh boy. Anyway, all right. So, so, the, so here's where I I agree with what you're saying, but I place the blame in two different places. One is the system of the AAU because when we were coming along. You're probably, I think, two or three years younger than me, maybe even more, because um, I used to walk Jesus to school. So I'm not sure how long that is that gap. But um, the way it was set up was you had to try out, and like it was one team for each area. So you know it's 30, 40 guys for 12 spots. 
You know what I'm saying? So that's how the the origin of it was. Now I think we've become, and I'm gonna use this with the participation trophy world. So now everybody gets to play AAU, whether you're good or not. And then I mean, like you get places, and then all you hear from the parent is, "Oh, my child played AAU." But the point that they didn't tell you was he was in, you know, there's I think it's A, B, C, and D or whatever it is. He was in the lower ranks, but they always quit to tell you, oh, he played AAU, he knew basketball. Your son can't go left. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or he can't go right. He don't understand what a V cut is. Like just like the things that we dealt with well, that I used to do with as a basketball coach, um, it was crazy. And it was so quick because Part of it was the child, but a lot of it was the parents. Like, we can't let the parents off the hook on this because they were the main ones like, oh, y'all not doing this, y'all not doing that. I had a parent tell me, we trying to build my son's brand. I'm like, huh? Your son a ninth grader. You trying to build his brand, then you should stay here because your son averages 22 here. He can go somewhere else and sit behind jokers. And that's what happened. So it's just crazy. See... But that AAU culture, I call you on the phone. You know, Ben, I'm going to play for AAU Team A. I already got Delonte. I got Junie. I got BJ. Big right. Jim running point. We could be a monster. We could be. We could be. You know, them dudes. And all of a sudden, we do. We all get scholarships. We go to different schools. We get drafted by different different teams. And then we still talking. Once them rookie deals is up, we're not signing. We're going to sign with one team, and we're going to all go play together. But then it's not going to be like it was in AAU because it's a whole different system. We have to play team ball. and But that's how the NBA has turned out to be. When you, you're up as a free agent, because we play AAU together, I'm going to call you and say, you come on down and play with me. Or are you going to force a trade? Yeah, and I'm going to try to – because I want to play with my buddy. But now in our generation, which is the generation before this, if you made the league, I made the league. BJ's in the league. Delonte, Junie, we're all playing on separate teams in the league. It's going to be great to play against y'all because I want to show out playing against you. Now, if we luck up and we so happen to play with each other, yes. But I'm not going to force a team to let me play with my boys. Right. Uh, but, ah, man. I could talk to them. I think more. I think I think we're being I think we're being a little hard on them because I think they still have that mentality of if you were in front of me, I'm a I'm a bust your ass. But I don't know how like Isaiah said it one night. I was watching um what was that? What's the inside the NBA? And no, nah, it wasn't open court. It was he was on inside the NBA one night. Okay. Um this was like a couple years ago. And Isaiah was just looking because I think the two guards that night both had 30-something. But the way they played, it was almost like, all right, I ain't playing no defense. You should take your shot. I'm going to come down and take my shot. And it's not a thing. And Isaiah's thing was, like, these jokers don't take it personal for somebody to throw a 30 spot on them. Like, you can get 30 on me, but you won't work for the 30. You know, that's how Isaiah presented it. Like, if it happens, it happens because you had a hot night. But it's not going to happen just because I let you come down and shoot. And I think sometimes when I watch the games, like, I don't know how personal it is to some jokers. You know, like, um, I watch the Knuckleheads podcast, and they always start their podcast off with, 
who was the first player that bust your ass when you got in the league? Like, like the old school dudes be like, like George Gervin was like in the a- ABA, it was Julius Irvin. And they was like, well, what about the NBA? He was like, nah, I was a problem in the NBA. Nobody was busting my ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, like these old dudes, like, it's a whole different mindset. Like, Sean Kemp talked about, yeah, the first time he paid Bird, Bird gave him 40. No, Bird gave him 50. And he gave him 50 because Sean Kemp broke all of Bird's records in high school. So Bird spent the whole game telling him exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. So it's just like a different mentality. Like, I think... I think certain guys, like when they talk about mama mentality, like I think some guys have that, but some guys just saying it just because they respect Kobe, and it ain't in them. It ain't their system. Nah, because they'll say mama mentality, but after the game that they shot uh, 7 to 30, they gone out and gone to the club. Mama mentality is standing in there and keep shooting. You in the gym, you telling the trainer, no, nah, I got to get more shots up. I'm not going to have another night like that. See, hmm. I'm not even gonna go because I, I, <laughs> I, I know, I understand, I understand it though. You love basketball, like it's a thing. Um, yeah, like it's a thing where you just can't see your favorite thing, um, just turn ugly. Like, yeah. It's almost like the Marcus Aurelius line, like you know, your faults as a son are my failures as a father. Like that's how I feel about NBA sometimes. Like I think we failed a generation. And now we're looking at the awards that we created. My bad, I didn't even quote Gladiator. Right. Hey, Gladiator's a, a vicious movie. Matter of fact, that might be my movie for the night. I could sit down and take my hair out and watch that. So, Amazon but, uh, Prime. <laughs> man, I'm going to say this. I don't think, and this is, this is, I hate to bring him up because he's over talked about, but. When Jordan couldn't beat the Pistons, he didn't run to the Pistons. He learned to right. trust his teammates, learned to trust the process. They got past the Pistons. When Magic came into the league, it was him and Cap. But when they had problems, he didn't say, well, no, you know what, forget this, I'm gone. He signed a 25-year, $25 million contract with the Lakers. And that, that that's unprecedented. These, team, mm-hmm. these players now if the team is not doing what they want them to do and they're not trusting the process, Joel Embiid is a dude to trust the process. I didn't think he was ever going to be really that good once he got to play, but he shut my mouth, and I'm glad he did because I love watching him play. But he trusts the process in Philly. Philly are they, – they're on the cusp. I'm not going to say championship contenders, but they're on the cusp. Maybe if Ben Simmons could shoot a jumper, they'd be all right, but another story for another time. But – Players don't do that anymore. Everybody talks about LeBron ran from Cleveland and ran to Miami. I would have left Cleveland too. They he took, he took the step to the finals. Right, he took the stepdad and three trash cans to the to the to, to the uh, to the finals on his back. And y'all, well, he couldn't win though. He's playing the damn Spurs. The Spurs are a machine. Well, were a machine at that time. They were a machine. You weren't going to beat the Spurs like that. Yes, he left and went to Miami. That was like LeBron had never left home. He left home, went to college, and came back. That's what he calls it. Yeah, he calls it his college years. Because he was having fun. I hated him. 
And I loved hating him because my Bulls were just so great at the time, and he prevented us from winning one more championship. But it's okay. It's okay. Can I? All right. So I'm glad you even brought that up. Because <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Because the other night I got caught in a wormhole, and it was the Derrick Rose like early years. Derrick Rose was a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing that held Chicago back was like there wasn't he didn't have a Robin. Like they were built like almost like a Miami Heat team. Um where it was like Zoe, um, Tim Hardaway, and they were going up against the Knicks with Allen Houston and company. It was just like they just didn't have enough. But Derrick Rose by himself was a problem. Like I've never seen it's I think it's Derrick Rose and Dominique Wilkins are the two best jumpers I've seen off two feet. In my lifetime, it might be more, but just on like right now, without doing research, like they stick out the most. You, you know something funny? I rated Dominique Wilkins the greatest two foot dunker ever, and I was told that I was crazy. Vince, I said Vince Carter's not a two foot dunker. I, I, apparently, I was talking to somebody I didn't know what the hell they was talking about. Right. When you said that. My eyes lit up because I'm like, most people don't, you know, outside of the junkies here, most people don't understand that of being a two foot jumper. And Dominique is probably the first one that I know that probably still has some sort of explosiveness after a ruptured Achilles. Mm -hmm. Everybody else, it was, you know, it was career suicide. It was over. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I see, the thing is, Luol Dang was supposed to be the Robin. That's what it was supposed to be. No, uh, Noah was supposed to be the, the enforcer. Uh, we just not, we never had a two guard in those early good Chicago years under Thibodeau, under Scott Skiles. We never had a two guard. We had Keith Bogan, who I enjoyed having. Um, the master product. Yeah, mm-hmm. class act. I, did, I, I was always a fan of his and not a Joe Forte. Um, met him personal. Yeah, put a well, pin in that conversation. It was put a pin in that one because that sounds like a conversation <laughs> for later. It was, um, but then we got Rip Hamilton. Uh, when Derrick Rose went down, we signed Nate Robinson. When Derrick Rose came back, I was like, "We need Nate back. Bring Nate back. Let Derrick Rose and Nate run the run the one and the two, because Nate can score. We need Nate scoring, and if he's not handling the ball, let him go off." For 25-30. We need that right now. And Dirk can still give us 25 and 30. That means the backcourt giving us 50. Let's do it like that. They never did it. Is that when um, Nate went to New York? No. Where did Nate go? He 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 uh, tore his ACL. I think he went, he went south. Was it New okay. Orleans when he tore his ACL? He tore his ACL. Then he came back in the G League for a little bit. And he was trying to come back to uh, Chicago. Because he was back healthy. I mean, he was balling, too. Nah, he might have gone to Boston because Nate got a the, in two thousand nine. He got the chip with Boston because that's when they were calling him and um, Big Baby second Duncan. <laughs> oh Lord, fuck Boston. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. It's all good. That comes from the heart. It sounded like it. Yeah, bro. No, no, he was in New York in, tw- in, in twenty two thousand five to two thousand ten. Boston in 10 through 11. 
the Thunder, okay. the Warriors. He was with the Bulls 12 13. Yeah, that was when Derrick Rose out. Derrick Rose went out in what, 12? Yeah. 13. Yeah. And then he went to Denver. He tore his ACL in Denver. Damn. And then uh, he bounced around. And he ain't played in the league since 2015. <clears throat> Damn. I mean, he ain't number 36, but he could score. But yeah, uh, can't take a punch. <laughs> oh man, but I mean, I'm, I'm just saying the whole point of how we got in this one, and this happens every time, and I love it. But the whole point is AAU basketball has done some serious damage to college basketball, it's also done it to uh, the NBA, in my opinion, because guys, yeah, it's fine. No, that's a fact. I mean, the guys can't can't do certain things on a basketball court because they were never taught it. Right. So it takes them a while. So because you brought this guy up, I have to ask you about him. Um, and I apologize if I'm extending this too much. But what do you think about the job that Tom Thibodeau is doing in New York? <laughs> the my evil laugh. Yeah, because my man too. Because I, I was about to say, I knew he had to be your guy. So go yeah. ahead. One thing I love is defense, especially defense in the NBA. When you got a team like Washington who's capable of scoring 131, 130, 135 on you, now you can keep up with them and run that pace, but it's even better when you break that ass down and they can't score over 82 points and all you got to do is score 87. And you know, and that's how Tibbs, that's how Tibbs runs. Everybody say he 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 plays players too long. But now mm-hmm. he's got Julius Randle in the All-Star game. If I'm not mistaken, they're in the fourth spot still. I think last time I checked, they were in the fourth spot. Let me pull that up. But uh, he's got um, New York in the fifth spot at 18 and 18. Oh, they only 500. This is New York we're talking about. New York has right. not been fucking relevant since 1999. I'm sorry, 2001. That was the last time that New York was relevant. Last time, because they destroyed that team. This is they good. Had a team. So, I think this team, and I might be missing a couple guys in the rush because I didn't pull it up. Um, but they had my boy, Q Richardson. I think they had um, a Mon Shumpert, a younger Mon Shumpert. They may even have Wilson Chandler. No, they didn't have Chandler because I think – no, yeah, they got Chandler, and I think they had um, – no, Chandler went in the deal for Melo, so Melo was there. That team, that was their best team, and I think they got that team together after the deadline because I think they got Melo at the deadline, and the only problem was they didn't bring that team back to run it back, and I think they were coached by Larry Brown, if I remember correctly. Mm. And LB can get – I mean, if LB can take – um. Tyrone Hill, Matt Geiger, Dikembe Mutombo, Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, and a young Allen Iverson to the finals. I mean, Larry Brown can coach. Yeah. Good old Tyrone Hill, the crypt keeper. <laughs> but 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 back on Tibbs, I'm gonna do I'm gonna eat some crow. Cause I said this before this when the deal when he got hired, I didn't think Tibbs could reach the young guys. So I'm going to eat crow 
and say, I'm surprised because I didn't think he was going to do this good of a job. I thought this team by now would have fell apart on him because they wouldn't have responded um, to his coaching ways. And the other guy I got E-Crow on is actually Obi, Obi Toppin actually looks like he might be able to be an NBA player. Hmm. I was unimpressed with him. Well, let me ask you this. And I hate to end it like this, but I'm, I got to ask. With the, with the job that Tibbs is doing in New York, with the new players they got and everything, do you think, honestly, that Fizdale could have got this out of those guys in New York? That's not a fair question. <laughs> that is not a fair question. I Only because I'm a Fizdale. I'm a Fizdale guy, so I like Fizdale. I think the problem that Fizdale had was he got them at the wrong point. So um, I think the Mitchell Robinsons of the world, um, the kid that they have now, um, the Canada kid, R.J. Barrett, I think Barrett was in a bad situation because Barrett tried to come out scoring from the break, and he never grew into his game. I thought New York never gave Fizz a chance to get his stuff in place. Agreed. Like, you can't hire a coach for two years. I mean, basketball is uh, – like, I always tell people, and I used to tell my basketball kids this, like, if in, in November we're going to be one way. Now, if we get to March and we're still the same team from November, then I failed you. Because we should be growing on this journey to become a better team. And this is why, like, my favorite coach in college basketball is Tom Izzo. Because if you ever see Michigan State in November, they look like crap. Mm -hmm. But they're playing all the top teams. And then by the time we get to February, they start to peak. And we get into March. We're in the, they're in the Elite Eight or either the Final Four nine times out of ten. Every so often they don't make it because just they just don't have the dogs. But most of the time, they're in there competing. And that's the thing. I think the problem with the NBA is they fire the wrong guy. Minnesota's been trash for 15 years. And for some reason, I mean, they may have fired a GM once or twice, but the GM is the guy getting it wrong, not the coach. They didn't get it wrong when they had McHale. Yeah, yeah, but they had KG. So, but... Then they turn around and draft, like, I forgot who the other point guard was, but one of the guards was Johnny Flynn. So in the same draft, in the same lottery, you draft two point guards. What are you doing? That's not team building. <laughs> like, like it's just it's just little stuff like that that kills me. So, like, even the Ernie Grunfield years here, it was like, I understand what you're trying to do, but why I go get Trevor Reza on the back end when you're not even going to sign him next year? You know what I'm saying? Why sign Otto Porter to a deal when you got a young Kelly Oubre? Stuff like that is the stuff that always boggles my mind. But, you know, just even though I'm not a, a Wizards fan or a Bullets fan, I still want to see the home team do well. True. So when you make dumbest decisions, I'm just like, yo, it doesn't make sense. And I think sometimes in the league, they're so quick to fire the coach when things go wrong and they forget the GM. Facts. That is absolutely true because uh, I still wonder how in the hell Ernie Grunfeld made it so long here in D.C. Mm -hmm. 
Now I'm looking at that 2009 draft, and back to back, they drafted Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. Now you could have had, you could have had uh, Steph Curry, Demar Derozan, um, Terrence Williams if you wanted, um, Drew Holiday, Ty Lawson, uh, Darren Collison, and I'm just running through here. You could have had Taj Gibson, which I'm glad they didn't get him because I do miss Taj in, in Chicago. Um, Jermaine Taylor, Dewan Summers, Dewan Blair, one of the most undersized power forwards. That's University of Pittsburgh. Yeah, and what? Okay. When he, he hip tossed Hashim the beat, oh, I loved it because I couldn't stand Hashim the beat, and people was like, "Why? He gonna be a number one pick? He gonna be a beast in the NBA?" I was like, "He's not gonna make it. He's not gonna make it." Uh, you could have had Giannis Repko, <laughs> Jody Meeks, um, Chase Button, Jody from Kentucky, Danny Green. I'm sorry. No, no, you good. You good. North Carolina. Uh, Patty Mills was in that draft. Yeah. And then who, let me see what the undrafted was. What, what we got undrafted? Uh, Aaron Baines. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Joe Ingles. Oh, that's the kid up in Utah now. I'm killing it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's Luke Zeller out of Notre Dame, but that's about it. It, 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 it wasn't a, a star-studded draft, but you could have picked other players instead of picking Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn gave you three years. Now, was he fast? Yes. Johnny Flynn was one of the fastest players I've ever seen in the NBA. But to to be picked in the lottery, I, I thought that was just a little too much for me. Well, so. no, it's just the fact. How do you go like all right? So in the room, you're in the meeting room, and it's like, all right, we're building the team. All right, so I'm gonna take a point guard at number five. I'm gonna take Ricky Rubio. Everyone's like, oh, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Hey, at number six, I'm gonna also take a point guard. It's gonna be Johnny Flynn. It's not even the fact that it's Johnny Flynn. It's the fact that we're taking another point guard. Like, mm-hmm. who in the room doesn't say, dog, what are we doing here? Exactly. Like, I'm just getting comfortable. Like, I like Denny Advia, but I was a Tyler Halliburton guy. Because I thought Halliburton was going to fill it up. He killed Carolina every time he played when he was at Florida State. So I was like, yo. But, I mean, I, I see Avia playing, and he's playing good ball. He's a better defender than I thought, I thought he was going to be. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just weird watching how NBA teams construct themselves and then all of a sudden fire somebody who's coaching the trash they put together. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me. Oh, we got the man of the hour calling in. You are on live. Delonte. Fellas, fellas. Fellas. What's going on, on, man? Ain't nothing. Chill, man. So, I was listening. You know, ben, you made a comment about Johnny Flynn. And I just got one question. What happened to Johnny Flynn? I, I thought he was going to be a, 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 a good – I thought he was going to have a good 10-year career in the NBA. He was good at Syracuse. I guess – Oh, that Syracuse. I, I just think some guys just – I mean, I think some guys just like the fame. 
Like they don't like the other part of the basketball life. And then it didn't help that again, he's going to a situation where he's not, he's he's a number six pick in a draft, but he's a backup. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it just didn't set up right. And I think um Johnny was always fast, but I was never impressed with him because I didn't think he was a good shooter. True, true. That. So, so yeah, I think I think I think they had a run that year or the year in the tournament, and I think that boosted him up. But I, I just wasn't a big Johnny Flynn guy. But he wasn't even the guy on that Syracuse team. That was Jerry McNamara. Jerry McNamara True. was a deadly shooter. He he was a I mean, not no disrespect to him. He was a poor man's JJ Reddick. He could hit from anywhere. Yes, sir. I, I wouldn't say poor man's JJ Reddick. I think he was JJ Reddick before JJ Reddick. And I think like Jerry McNamara is one of those guys that he would probably be kicking himself because he was born an era too soon. Like yep. Jerry McNamara in this era would be like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like what he would get, like the looks he would get. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I I I I expected more more of a career from Johnny Flynn. What was he? One year in the league, and that's it, or maybe two, three, three. three? He three. did three, but I mean, I think I think he was leading the league in coach DMPs in year three. Like I don't think he played much in his third year. Yeah, mm. I was like, dang, Johnny Flynn, and didn't he get and he got drafted before Steph too, right? Yep, the pick before. Wow! Wow! Come on, Minnesota. Minnesota, man. But I mean, but no, you can't. I mean, I I love that argument, but I don't like that argument on a on a certain point because watching stuff, no one thought stuff. If you told me this was gonna be stuff, I wouldn't have believed you. Exactly. I if feel you, the same if you catch what I'm saying, like 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 I hate when, um, because I'm a person of, I remember the moment. Like I get frustrated with the Washington football team fans. When they show all this adoring love for Marty Schottenheimer, when I know I was in the car listening to Sports Talk Radio and they trashed Marty from beginning of the season to the end, like the second he turned, he made Daryl Green do Oklahoma, every older risk and fan hated him. So it's like we get this revisionist history, and like now it's like, oh, we should have never let Marty go. You never wanted Marty to stay. But that's a whole different conversation, but it brings it back to this like, stuff. Was a small guy. I mean, he was undersized. He could shoot it, but you didn't even know you was gonna get this type of NBA where he could have the free flowing, where he could get space to get a shot off. And then he also had the bad ankles. So like Steph was really looking like a bust until he got the ankles fixed. Yeah, his, his the ankles were an issue, but I think for me, and it wasn't even the the tournament play because you know that's when he like really came alive. Um, some reason I, I I always believed that you know said and not to call him a kid, but you know speaking from you know back then that he he was gonna fare well in the league and his shooting, you know as long as he you know maintained his consistent shooting, he was gonna do well. And you know I mean look at him now, you know this dude he's a short shot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. But you you know something, and I, I'll say this, um. Uh, Sons of former players, 
if that former player was an all-time great, the Suns are not that good. But if that former player was good, uh, like Dale Curry was a good shooter. He 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 moved around a lot, but he was a good shooter. Uh, you know his kids are gonna be pretty damn good. And I've noticed that you can't tell me one one superstar son that comes into the league and takes off with it, takes over with a dad left off. Because the spotlight's too bright. They're not doing it. But then you got guys that Pops played in the league and he probably had a cup of coffee in the league. Or, you know, he was just okay in the league. And the sun's blowing it up. Look at uh Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson wasn't he was a dog. Yeah, he was a dog. He's pretty damn good. But look at his son. His son is being considered as one of the top five all-time shooters of all, you know, in the NBA, in NBA history. Would you have True. expected that? I'm, but that's just, it's just, it's a theory I'm working on. I got a little bit more digging to do to make sure I got everybody. But when you got guys such as a Clyde Drexler, a Michael Jordan, hell, even a Hakeem Olajuwon, their sons are good, but never great. Uh, but I also thinks. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I think some of that comes from, like, yeah, they may play against their dads, but I think some of the issue is they don't get that that city ball. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always believe I, I like certain cities. Like, if you tell me a kid from Chicago, I know he's going to thump, and he's going to be about his business. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know a kid from either the D- in D.C., Maryland, and I even give Virginia some love in this. Um but I know they can play some ball. You know, it's like certain cities like Cali. Like, I know certain places where if I go and I want to find a baller, I can find a baller there. You know what I'm saying? If that makes – like, that's just where you go. You know, if I needed somebody that can't shoot but they can handle the rock, I'm going to New York. You, you know who you sound like? Fires. <laughs> what? You sound like Doc Walker because he said, if I'm doing a recruiting tour and I go to a guy's house and he got – five, six siblings, and they living in a, a, a two-bedroom apartment, that's the guy that I want to recruit. But if this guy had a seven-bedroom house and he's the only child, I don't want him because he ain't got no dog in him. That's what you sound like. But it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Fellas, we've been going on for an hour and 30, and I just looked at the timer. Oh, my God, we about to get fine. <sighs> Which one of y'all got money coming out of the pocket? Because, I, I, hey, look, Delonte, you got to go to BJ oh. with <laughs> I think I gotta shoot you the five for the um for the um JJ Watt joint. I but I, I gotta go back and check that because I think I had I forget I don't think anybody I, Arizona. I don't no, I don't think nobody I think we all clear because I, I don't I don't owe BJ no money, so I'm already I'm good. Oh, okay. <laughs> but fellas, we're gonna go ahead and end it right here. We gotta come back on Sunday because we gotta unveil. I don't know if you heard this or not, but we're gonna unveil Top five at each position in the NBA in honor of All-Star Game. So we're going to do that on a Sunday rise. I have all five of mine written down, and we're going to try to vote and make sure, you know. But I think we're just going we're going to go around the table, make it a roundtable discussion. That'll be the show. So if you can, Ben, please, more than welcome to join uh, top five at each position in the NBA. Hey man, let's let's get that out there, and I know that's gonna start some intense arguments. But 
I'm I'm down for it. That's what I'm doing it for. I want the arguments. <laughs> okay, I'm down. I'm down with that. Um, so, just shoot me a time on that, and I, I'll see what I can do. We'll do. I think I, I know I got the kid this weekend, so we'll see. Okay, I just don't want nobody to to to, to lose their minds when I say that B.J. Armstrong is the greatest point guard of all time. Let's go. Oh, all right. <laughs> Mm. I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. But I'm thank you. I was say, we, he can't even say that with a straight face. No, <laughs> no. Nah. What? Uh, thank we still go ahead. Go ahead. No, nah, you go ahead. I, I'm, I'm. Look, I'm living in the past, but that's way, way in the past. So, but uh, thank everybody for listening. Uh, we can't say we did overtime tonight, but good night. We out of here. Peace All out. Right.